All right, all right, all right. How are you guys doing this morning? Yep. My name is Jeremiah Parks, and I welcome you here. I'm excited to hang out with you guys for the next few minutes. What, what time are we supposed to be done with this session? Can anybody tell me? 12, okay. Well, I've got a lot to say. I'll try to talk fast. I'm one of those guys who kind of talks a lot, so um, we'll see if we can plow through this. I loved Pastor Brady's session. Did you guys enjoy that last session with Prophecy? I have to tell you, I'm actually, um, I'm one of those people. He's, he referred to, like, uh, a lot of times the Lord uses him to prophesy with, like, co-workers and friends and things like that. And, and I was sitting in the crowd going, yeah, that's true, that's me. Um, I had an experience with him where the Lord spoke to him over my life, something really amazing that's actually has come true, too. So, so just a little, uh, just a little uh, kudos to, to what Pastor Brady was saying. It was really good. So I challenge you to take that to heart. So how many of you guys, uh, first of all, I, I knew that whoever ended up in this room would be the crazy people. Do I have any crazy people in this room? Yeah! Because you guys, I know in this room, I don't know, I wish we, had, we could like do personality profiles and see what kind of people are in this room. But I know that you are the kind of people that want to get it done. You're the people that want to go and make the world a better place. You want to make a difference. I know all these other sessions that are happening right now, I'm sure that they're great and wonderful stuff. They're going to talk about great things, but you guys picked the right place because you're the people who say, hey, I don't want to just sit around and talk. I want to get up and go. I want to do something. I want to move. Am I right? Yeah. All right. All right. So that's what we're going to talk about. Um, this idea, like, so... so We'll have the vow session later, and right now all these different sessions are covering the vow, what that's about. And one of those elements is mission. And I just I want to jump into this with you guys and try to tackle what is it, what are we talking about when we talk about mission? What is it that God has called us to do? And why and how do we do it? And I feel like this is always one of the most difficult parts of being a Christian. I feel like this is one of the things that people get hung up on the most uh, probably this and then like not sinning, you know, trying to never ever sin again in your life. Anyone succeeded at that yet? Raise your hand if you figured that one out because I'd love to hear about it. Um, but but I'd, I'd say along, uh, you know, next to just figuring out how to be perfect, uh, there is this issue of mission. I know I'm supposed to do some things for God, but what does that look like? What does it mean? How do I do it? And so what what is it that we're called to do? I think if you look throughout Scripture... And you try to define the mission and what it is of being a Christian. There's lots of different verses that we could look, like, look at. Like when Jesus was about to go back up to heaven and he said, hey, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Okay, so there's one, of, there's one of the missions there that he's given us. Preach the gospel, make disciples, baptize people in my name. Uh, in, in James 127, one of my favorite scriptures, uh, it talks about pure religion is that we care for widows and orphans, that we look after them in their distress. But it also says that we keep ourselves from being polluted by the world. So the kind of living in holiness, but then also the action of caring for the weak and the poor. There's scripture that talk about caring for the poor. There's scripture that talk about, like Jesus said, uh, you know, go in my name. He's talking to his disciples. I want you to go into these cities and I want you to go cast out demons and I want you to heal the sick. And so there's all these different initiatives that we've been given. In 1 John, it talks about... um, that, that Jesus was manifest in the world to destroy the works of the devil. And it also says in a different chapter in 1 John that if we claim to live in him, 
we must walk as Jesus did. So we must be doing the things about the things that Jesus did. And then also, Jesus tells us, this is one that has always blown my mind, he says, hey guys, the things that I've done, you will do, and you will do greater things. I still don't understand that one. But, because Jesus did some pretty cool stuff. Has anybody walked on water yet? Or turned a little bit of food into a whole lot of food? Or raised people from the dead? Any of that stuff? Cool stuff. I, anyway, so the point is, there's a lot to do. But I think, I think what gets really challenging is this, we can get hung up on like trying to accomplish this mission. And it gets really, I, I, throughout my years of being a believer, I've seen people who get way too into like the, like really zealous about it, but become very legalistic and like we're on a mission and this is what we got to do. And it's like you almost forget about the people in the process, the very people that you're trying to love and demonstrate this is what it means to be a believer. You kind of run over them in the process because you're just about this goal and this mission to accomplish. And obviously that's not what the Lord has called us to do. So it sometimes feels like a requirement. We know we're supposed to be on a mission. How do we do that? And so here's a really interesting verse in 1 Corinthians 13. You guys heard, heard, if you've read that chapter, we call it the love chapter. It's Paul describing what love is about. And he says, all right, if I do all of these amazing things, he says, if I give everything I have to the poor, if I can speak with the tongues of men and of angels, if I have faith faith that I can move a mountain, I can prophesy, um, even if I gave my body to be burned, If I did all of those things, but I didn't have love, it profits me nothing. It's interesting to me that he says it profits me nothing. It's it's like, well, why, why, why would you even mention that? What does profiting yourself have to do with the mission that God has called us to? Do you see what I'm saying? That seems kind of even a selfish statement, right? I could do all those things, but it would profit me nothing. Well, does it still profit all the people that you're doing those things for? If you gave all your money away to the poor... If you gave your body to be burned, like, and he's speaking of like if I became a martyr for Christ, which was happening uh, a lot at, at that time when he wrote that. But it doesn't profit me. Uh, so so what, is, what is that even talking about? I mean, how could you, why would you even give your body to be burned if you didn't do it in love, right? Can you think about what, what would the motivation be? Why would you give everything you had to the poor if you didn't do it in love, what could possibly be motivating a person uh, to do those kind of crazy things if it, if it weren't love? Have you ever thought about that? Think about it for just a second. Um, here's, here's what I think. There's, there's always a reason. There's always a motivation for us to do the things that we do. Okay? So, like I said earlier, you guys are the crazy people. You're in here because you want to make a difference. You want to go out and change the world. But I think we all have different motivations. We, maybe we get into that idea for different reasons because our pastor told us that we should, right? Or we've grown up hearing this, that we should tell our friends about Jesus. We should win the lost. We should uh, you know, help the poor. We should help orphans and widows and all of these kind of things. And, and surely there's a part in your heart that's like totally right on. It's like, uh, because the love of God is in you and you want to share that love and all of that. But I think what trips us up is a lot of the other, uh, the other motivations, the other things that kind of get caught up in the mix. And uh, here's, I'll tell you a story that I think kind of shows this. Um, 
when, okay, when I, when I was a kid, I wish I had time to tell you guys all of my story in childhood and all that, but let me just say this. I, I grew, in a, grew up in a really abusive family. My dad was not a believer. He was atheist, and he was, had all kinds of addictions and problems, and he was extremely abusive, physically abusive, psychologically abusive. So I was a, really fearful as a kid and always trying to do the right things to please my dad, uh, to make sure I would stay in his good graces, which sometimes I feel like as Christians, there's a similar vibe with us and God. Even if we just we hear our, for our whole lives, God loves us, he loves us, he loves us, he loves us, but yet we still have this guilt complex and we feel like we're trying to earn God's favor and all of this. So I had this situation happen when I was a kid. I was, uh, I, it was somewhere around 4th of July, or I think it was after 4th of July, and we had some fireworks left over. You guys, have you ever used this, these fireworks that, um, it's, it's like, it's, you know what the black cats are? Those little black cats? It's kind of like that, except when, once you light it, you like drop it on the ground, and it spins really fast. There's different versions of this particular firework, but it jumps and spins and zzz, zzz, makes a bunch of noise and sparks are flying everywhere. You all know what I'm talking about? Okay, so um, maybe, did any of you get to have any fun with fireworks this year? We did, around here, it's like, don't even think about it, because our whole, our whole state could catch on fire in a second. So, um, yeah, I know. So, so I'm out in the driveway. I was probably about six or seven years old. I had, um, I don't remember if I had permission to do this or not, um, but I did it. So, I'm in the driveway, I figure this is safe, and I, and I light one of these things up. And so I'm watching it, like, jumping around, spinning. I'm like, ooh, so exciting. You know, sparks everywhere. And then the thing just, you know, it just took off. And it shot under the garage door. And I, I so then smoke started coming out from under the garage door. And I'm trying to, uh, I'm trying to get the door open. But this was an old house, and this was back when I was a kid. That was a while ago. You guys probably don't have, maybe you've never even seen a garage door like this, but Garage doors used to just be one big solid door, and when you opened it, it was just one big door. Now they're like sectional. But anyway, I, I couldn't get the door open. I was just a little kid. I'm trying to pull the door open, and there's smoke billowing out from under the garage door, more and more and more smoke, and I'm thinking, what is happening in there? And uh, I run around. I, so I finally just go in the house and run around into the garage, and guess what I discovered? Not good. My dad like to hunt, and so he had these, um, these camouflage, like, overall things. It's like, like this whole suit, you know, you just step in and zip it up, and you're totally head-to-toe camouflage. That thing was on fire. <laughs> the, the whole thing was, was burning up, and so I'm, like, trying to stomp it out, and, and uh, you know, like, I will throw my own body on top of this thing to put this fire out if I have to, because I'm, I'm going to be in big trouble. So I, I have to figure out a way to go tell my dad that I burned up his camouflage suit. Uh, and actually, actually, I'm really happy to say he didn't, uh, he didn't overreact. He, he was good about it. And you, you all were worried, right, that I was about to tell you some awful story. Sorry, I didn't mean to set you up for that. Um, so, yeah, so he was good. He was good. But I thought, okay, now that I, I did that, I, I made this mistake. Now I need to try to make up for it, and I need to do something to kind of you know, show my dad that I'm sorry and, and try to please him again. So I thought, I know what I'll do. 
since I, since I ruined those clothes, I will, when my dad's at work, I will go into his room and get his clothes, his dirty clothes, and I'll go wash them. And, and, and then that will, I, he'll come home and I'll have his clothes washed and folded and say, Dad, there you go. So, uh, so I went to do that. I had never washed clothes before. I was still, you know, like I said, six years old or seven or something. So I, I got all of his clothes together and I washed them. You probably know where this is going. Can you guess what happened? I heard it over here. Everything turned pink. There was a lot of whites, and I didn't know you were supposed to separate them, and there was a red shirt. So I turned everything pink. So then I did get in trouble for that. But what my point is, I was trying to do these things that I thought I should do, you know, I made a mistake, and that's where a lot of us are coming from. We've made mistakes, we've sinned, we know we're guilty, and we know God forgives us, but then, like, okay, I, but I still need to, like, make it right. I need to do something to show God that I'm on the right track, and, that, and I want to help Him, and I want to help out in this world, and so I'll go and do those things. And a lot of times, though, I feel like we're similar to me as a kid, you know, trying to make up for things that we've done, or trying to just do the right thing, and maybe our intentions are good and our heart is good, but we're out there just kind of floundering around and turning whites into pink and maybe along the way hurting, hurting some people. Um, you know, one of the th- when I think about uh, this, this verse in Corinthians that we just read, how could, you, how could you give your body to be burned and it not profit anything? How could you do something so extreme and it still not be good? And the thing that comes to my mind are the Crusades. Anybody familiar with the Crusades? You've learned about that in school. You probably wouldn't learn about it in Sunday school because we don't really try to talk about that much in the church. Uh, it is really one a travesty in church history. But there, there was a period of time, you know, medieval period. It lasted for, uh, for quite a while, many, many years. But we had Christians going out and literally giving their bodies, giving themselves uh, in war and killing people that wouldn't confess Christ. And, and so it's, I mean, still to this day we're paying for those mistakes because in the Islamic world and the Christian world, there's sort of a blood feud that goes way, way back. So, so we have seen actually people really do some pretty crazy things in the name of God, thinking that they're giving everything to him. Um, but here's where I think God wants us to, how we really tap into the truth of this, how we really become people who just do the mission that God has called us to out of love, out of a pure heart, out of the true power of God. And I think a lot of it has to do with when we, when we realize that it's not out of obligation, but it's out of love. Have you guys ever, um, well, how about Christmas time? Raise your hand. At Christmas time, you get presents, right? Everybody gets presents. You love those presents, it's exciting to get presents, and you give presents to other people. How many of you ever get presents on your birthday? Raise your hand. Yes, you get. If you don't get presents on your birthday, come tell me. I will get you a present. Um, but you get these presents, and it's special, and you love it. It's great. But have you ever had someone give you a gift for no reason? Have you ever had somebody just do something really wild, like a, just amazingly kind for you, or maybe actually a gift, you know, wrapped up in everything? And here's a gift, just. A friend, maybe your parents, just, hey, I was just thinking about you, and I just wanted to do this for you. Or have you ever done that for someone? 
Have you ever cleaned your room when you're, like, especially when you were younger, did you ever just clean your room without anyone asking you, without, well, anyone asking you, maybe particularly your parents asking you? Do you did anyone ever do that? Raise your hand if you've ever did, you did something at the house, maybe you mowed the yard or you cleaned up the kitchen, you did something without being asked, and, and the reaction from your parents was, like, almost scared you, like, they, like, you're overreacting, Mom, it's not that big a deal, they probably flipped out. Because you did something that they didn't ask you to do. You just went and did it out of your own good heart and kindness and love. And you see the difference. And I think that's the point right there. How, how do we as sons and daughters of God learn how to operate, not out of obligation, not out of duty, not because God said we had to or because all of these different scriptures tell us that we should, but because we know who we are. We know that we are sons and daughters of God, and we want to be like Him. We want to be conformed to His image, and so we pour ourselves out. And I think the key word here to how we do this, it's not, it's not just about what we do, but it's how we do it. If 1 Corinthians, even if I give my body to be burned, if I give everything I have to the poor, but I don't do it with love, it profits me nothing. Okay, so some of you guys are thinking, Jeremiah, I... It's already hard enough to try to do the right things. Now you're telling me that if I don't do the right things with the right attitude, then it's not right. Yes, that's what I'm saying. Um, But here's how I think we tap into that. How we tap into the depth and the power of this reality of mission. So I'm about to unveil the secret. Are you ready? Are you ready for it? Just nod your head and say, oh yeah, I'm I'm ready. Mm -hmm. Okay, here it comes. I I believe that the key to all of this, this missional lifestyle, is a a word that we're all very familiar with, and it is the word compassion. So if you're taking notes, write that word down. Compassion. I know that's not not too uh, out of the blue. You're like, yeah, okay, I can see that. Compassion, it makes sense. But let me say specifically what I think that means. I... A while back, I heard a friend of mine was speaking, and, and he talked about the word compassion in a way I had never heard it before. If I asked you guys, hey, tell me what compassion is, you would say, uh, you know, it's, ha- it's, it's having a caring heart. It is uh, when you see someone hurting and your heart goes out to them, that's compassion, and you're moved to want to help them. That's compassion. Yes, that, that is compassion. That, that definitely is. But the actual word compassion originally what it means is to co-suffer. Compassion means to co-suffer. Think about, um, you hear around Easter time, you hear about the crucifixion and everything that Jesus went through as the passion of the Christ, right? It's his suffering. His, his road of carrying the cross and his crucifixion on the cross is called the passion of the Christ. Well, today, when we talk about passion, we use that word very differently, right? Passion is more to do with like, yeah, I'm really into something. I'm, I'm passionate about this. I'm excited about this. But, but the word actually originally has to do with that suffering. And so compassion is to co-suffer. So when we have compassion for someone, we're not just, it's not just sympathy. It's not just saying, oh, I feel bad for what you're experiencing, and so let me see if I can help you. But it is actually to co-suffer. Isn't that amazing? It's a whole, different, a whole different view, a whole different understanding of what it means. And so let me tell you real quick about how understanding that myself like, really has changed my life. 
Um, some of you uh, have heard about heart work. You know about heart work. David talked about it in there. Tonight, we're going to really talk about it in the session tonight, and it's going to be so awesome. I can't wait. I wish we could just fast forward to that and do that. It's going to be incredible. Um, but a few years ago, we started this thing called heart work here at New Life. We weren't, it's now a ministry you know, around the country, around the world, but when we first started it, it was just our youth group here at New Life, and we said, hey, what if we took a few weeks, eight weeks, and we made sacrifices, big sacrifices, so that we could help rescue orphans. And we had a guy in our church who said, I will match every dollar that you guys raise up to $60,000. And so we had this goal to raise $60,000, and we thought, this is crazy. I don't know if this will ever happen. Only if God gets involved, this will, be a, this will have to be a miracle. And so we wanted to try to build these orphan homes. And so for eight weeks, we started, um, uh, well, the students, that they were working, if they had jobs, they were working extra hours at their jobs. And students who didn't have jobs, who were too young, they were going around just doing odd jobs, you know, babysitting. And there was this girl, I remember this 12-year-old junior high girl who, who raised like $500 going door to door and scooping dog poop. She would just say, do you have any dogs? I would love to come and scoop the poop out of your yard because I'm raising money to build an orphanage. So she, I mean, just stuff like that. People were just doing these crazy things, selling stuff, making stuff and selling stuff. Uh, it, it was just wild. And at the end of those eight weeks, they had given $67,000. And then this guy, Kirby, he matched that money and we were able to build all these homes. But in the process, it was this revolutionary thing. We thought that we were setting out to help some orphans, and what happened is it transformed us. I could tell you story after story after story of people who were involved, students at that time, that was now five years ago that we started that, whose lives were changed, like the direction of their lives were changed. The direction of my life was massively changed. Um, And what we learned is that that there's a verse in Isaiah, Isaiah 58.10. And it has become one of my all-time favorite scriptures. In Isaiah 58.10, God is speaking to his people and he says, If you will spend yourselves, spend yourselves on behalf of the needy and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. So God is saying, if you will do this, if you will give yourself away, this transformation is going to happen in you. Your life is going to be changed. You will become like me. Light will come where there's been darkness. If you guys, uh, this, is why, this is why I think Paul says, if I, give all these, if I do all this and I give my body and I give all my money and all of this stuff, but I don't have love, it profits me nothing. This is why I think that idea of profiting matters. Why does it matter that it profits us? It's because God wants to transform us in the process. Okay, so this is where it gets crazy. Cool. God is not just trying to use us. Have you ever felt like that might be the case? Like, have you ever heard someone say, like, hey, our reason for being here on the earth is so that we can preach the gospel. Our reason for existence is so that we can tell other people about God. And, and I've heard that said. I don't agree with it, though. I think it's a, you know, it's a good, I understand the heart behind it, but it's not true. I think what the reality is, is that, I mean, God has saved us because he loves us and he wants to know us. He does want to use us to share the message of his goodness in the earth, 
to reflect his glory, to show people who he is. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. He didn't just say, I'm the light of the world. He said, you're the light of the world. He said, uh, that my spirit will be in you, and you will do the things that I've done, and the power of God will be in you. And First John talks about this river of living water flowing out of us and touching other people's lives and changing things. But I believe with all my heart that the beauty of this whole missional living thing is that God wants to transform our lives while we're in the process of trying to change other people's lives. You see what I'm saying? And this is where I think as the church we can really miss it and really get messed up because when we think that it's because of uh, we're just trying to fulfill an obligation and we're going to go out and tell people about Jesus because we have to or we're going to help orphans and widows because we have to. We're going to help the poor because we have to. It sabotages the whole thing. But when we realize, okay, this is for the benefit of others, but it's also changing me. God wants to change me. And I think there's this kind of trap of the enemy, a trap of the, of the world, is to get us focused on, okay, and you've got to track with me here, okay? This is a little bit tricky. But you guys are really smart, I can tell. This, because this almost sounds like a contradiction. But the, but the enemy, I believe that the enemy wants to distract the body of Christ and get us so focused on ourselves that we don't fulfill the mission God has called us to. Okay? I think that most of us as Christians, just to be honest with you, and I see this as I travel and speak about heart work, and I've seen it in my own heart, I think we are extremely selfish. Even our relationship with God we, the starting point for most of us is right here. The starting point is me. Think about it. You go into prayer, you go to spend time with the Lord, and what are you actually thinking about? You. And, you're, and maybe it's because you messed up, so you're thinking about how you sinned. Still, the focus is on you. You're thinking about how, Lord, I used to feel joy, but for some reason I don't feel joy right now. What's the problem? Lord, I don't have peace. Lord, I have this problem in my life, and I have this other problem in my life, and I really could use your help. Could you help me out? And it becomes so self-focused. Okay, but here's where the contradiction lies. The enemy would have us to be focused on ourselves, even in our relationship with God. But God would have us be focused on others, but his intention is for us. Okay, so here's basically the point. Don't think about you. Let God think about you. Do you want to try to worry about your problems and try to fix your problems and get that sorted out, or do you want to let God do it? Which one do you think would do a better job? You or God? God, that's right. Give it to Him. Put yourself in a position where He can be the one working, but when you are self-focused, it doesn't work. That's that verse in Isaiah 58 that I just quoted to you. It is God's people. They're doing all these things. They're doing all the right things that they're supposed to be doing. They're having these fat times of fasting, and, and they're going through all these rituals, a lot like what we do, right? We don't do the rituals and all that stuff now, but we do, like, I've got to read my Bible, I've got to pray, I've got to tell people about Jesus, right? We go through the motions. But God says to them, hey, I am so sick of all of the stuff that you're doing. I don't like it. I don't care about it. This is what I want. I want you to spend yourself. I want you to give yourself away. And when you do that, when you give yourself away, light will start to shine out of you. Your darkness 
will become like the noonday. That's what that scripture says in Isaiah 58.10. Your darkness will become like the day. The noonday, when the sun is at its height. And I, when I first started getting into that scripture and reading that, and I even started teaching it, I was saying to people, hey, if you do, the, God is telling us that if we do these things for him, then he'll do this for us, you know. Spend yourself on the poor, and he will help, you know, make things better. But I think it's actually even deeper than that. It's more powerful than that, and this is what it is. God is the God who spends himself. He's the God who gave himself away, and he continues to give himself away. The Father gave his Son. Jesus gave his life. So when we do what God does, we are becoming like him, okay? And he is light. He is love. So when I start to spend myself, I am starting to become like him. And the word of God is full of this idea. There's many, many scriptures that talk about us being conformed to the image of Jesus. For us to be transformed, to be like him. Guys, that's the whole point That's the whole point of this whole thing. I mean, it's the reason why planet Earth exists. It's the reason why Adam and Eve were created. It's the reason why we're here. It's the reason why Jesus came, that he lived on the earth, that he died, that he rose again. All of that is so that you and I could be conformed to the image of Jesus, to be like him. And when we go and we care for orphans and widows and we preach the gospel and we, we give of ourselves so that others come to know the Lord, we are just perpetuating the whole thing. We're perpetuating, I like to call it the family business. God is in the business of redeeming His creation. And when we become His sons and His daughters, we start working in the family business, and we start being about the same thing. But if we're doing it because we have to, it sabotages it. If we do it because we're becoming like our Father, then it works. You know, think about a, a true family business, you know. You have a father who's, uh, well, mom and dad maybe have built up this family business, and they want to pass it on to their children, but if their children are like, okay, I mean, I guess I have to do the family business. I really wanted to go be a doctor, but I guess I'll take over the family empire and whatever, and your heart's not in it, that business won't succeed. It doesn't last because it's no longer a passionate vision in the children that it gets passed to, but if it is, the next generation comes in and says, yes, we're going to take this and we're going to run with it and it's going to be fantastic and it's going to grow and it's going to spread. That is what God's plan has been for us. Think about it. Jesus starts with 12 disciples. Then he says, okay, I'm going to go back to heaven, but this is better because I'm going to send, my Father's going to send the Holy Spirit. He will fill all of you. And basically what he was saying is, Instead of it just being me, there's going to be a whole lot of people that are like me and will do the family business. Okay, so let me read this verse to you. This verse is absolutely mind-blowing. It's in Romans 8. starts in verse 15. It says, The Spirit of God bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God. And if children of God, then heirs of God. Okay, family business. We are heirs of God. Heir, what, I mean, an heir is someone who uh, receives an inheritance, right? So the family business being passed to us, the kingdom of God being passed to us. It says we're heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. All right, and look what's coming next. If we suffer with him. If we suffer with him. And then the next thing, check it out. 
that we may also be glorified together. Okay, what does that mean? How do I suffer with Jesus? Okay, so what did Jesus do? He died on the cross, right? That's kind of like the main thing you would point to. Jesus died on the cross, took away the sins of the world. Now because of what he did, we can be forgiven. Okay, so if I'm going to suffer with Jesus, what does that mean? Like, do I need to die on the cross? I mean, Jesus did say, take up your cross and follow me. And Paul talks about being crucified with Christ. But I'm not dying for the sins of the world, right? That's already been done. So how do I suffer with Jesus? Is it just suffering for suffering's sake? Should I just go out and try to put myself in some really tough situations just so that I can suffer? And that might sound weird, but it has happened throughout church history. There are people who have said, okay, to be holy, to be godly, to be good, to do this, it means that I must suffer. And there are people who have beaten themselves on the back until they're bleeding and have put themselves in extreme poverty on purpose so that they could suffer and say, okay, I'm holy. That's not what it's talking about. How do I suffer with God? It is compassion. If I have compassion, I will co-suffer with those who are hurting, and therefore I will become like God, the God who suffers, the God who suffers with us. So what does it look like then? Okay? And I'm I'm wrapping this up here. Just a few minutes. We'll be done. We're going to close strong here. I I want to drive this home for you guys. When I see somebody hurting, and that's, that's a broad idea, right? People who are hurting. Who's hurting? Who's hurting? Well, we know that I'm very passionate about orphans and widows. We know they're hurting, right? Because an orphan doesn't have a father to provide for him or her. A, a widow doesn't have a husband to provide. No protector, no defender, no provider. They're suffering. The poor are suffering. There are homeless who are suffering. Those are kind of the obvious things, but what about, what about the rich? I think they're suffering too. The rich who don't know God. Your friends who don't know Jesus. Your family members who don't know Jesus. Entire nations that don't know Jesus. Entire civilizations that don't know the gospel, who don't know who Jesus is. They are suffering. They are hurting. There is brokenness. The enemy is crushing them. They don't know the light. They don't know the Savior. They don't know freedom. They don't know who they are. They don't know they have authority over the work of the enemy. They don't know that they have power in God. They don't know that they're eternal, that they're going to live for thousands and millions of years. So there's a lot of hurt in the world. So what happens then when you decide to take up a cause like that? If you say, I'm going to help orphans. If you say, I want to preach the gospel. If you say, my friend at school or my enemy at school, these people that actually hate me or ridicule me or, you know, make fun of me, make me feel like I'm less than. Uh, or, Or my neighbor or my family member. Maybe it's your mom or your dad or your brother or sister, your aunt, your uncle that don't know God. And you have the eyes to see that they're actually hurting and suffering. Okay, when you become like God... You have different eyes to see. And what you'll start to see isn't, let's say, let's say like kind of the stereotypical kid at school who's like bullies everyone and thinks he's real tough, you know, is actually really hurting, you know. You kind of see that in like movies or TV shows. Maybe you've seen it in real life. There's the guy who thinks 
he's real tough, and then you find out he's actually just a big baby, and somehow that comes out. You know, someone stands up to him and hits him, and he starts crying. Because that guy is hurting. Can you see past it? Can you see past the girl who is very beautiful and just thinks that it's the ground she walks on is just amazing and everyone around her should adore her and she thrives on the attention of other guys. She has to be praised. She has to be told how great she is. Can you see past that and see that she's actually really hurting? That she's insecure? That maybe her father hasn't loved her and so she's trying to find acceptance from other men? Maybe the guy who is trying to find his identity in his in sports or in how popular he is or how tough he is. And when you start to see that, you start to have compassion. And when you have compassion, okay, co-suffer. You start to suffer with other people. And this is where it gets this is where it gets amazing, guys. Will you have the courage and the boldness and the willingness to suffer voluntarily? That's the question. Will you do it? The Bible says that Jesus, even though he was God, made himself of no reputation. He didn't think that being God was something to cling to. He became a man. He came to the earth, became a man, and he died on a cross. He said, I don't have to have the comfort. I'll make myself uncomfortable, and I will suffer. And he was God. And he became a man, a lowly man, a baby, grew up poor, all of that. How much smaller of a step is it for us to just say, okay, I mean, I've, maybe I have things good, but I will willingly suffer. There's two kinds of suffering that can happen in the world. There's the suffering that happens to you, and there's nothing you can do about that. All right, like bad things happen. Have you, has anyone ever suffered before? Raise your hand, let me just see. Have you ever gone through anything difficult? Yes, you have, and you will. There will be other things that happen that are hard. Jesus promised us that. He said, in this world you will have trouble, but be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. So you're going to suffer. For me, I, I, you know, I told you a little bit about I grew up in an abusive home, but it's actually because of that abuse, God redeemed it and transformed my life, and now that weakness that was scarred me has become a strength. That's what God does with suffering. So you can't change those things that will happen, but the way you respond and the way you give it to God, that you can do. So that, there's things that are going to happen to you. But what God is looking for is people who will say, again, this is you guys, you're the crazy people who decided to come to this, this session, people who will say, God, I will choose to suffer. Not just trying to be comfortable and avoid problems. See, guys, that's what's happened in our culture. That's what's happened. I mean, it's partly just our sinful flesh nature doesn't want pain. Doesn't, we want to be comfortable. We want to be coddled. We want pleasure. We want entertainment. But our culture is like hyper, hyper active in this area of entertainment and pleasure, right? I mean, it's all you ever see anywhere. So we are a culture who has tried to rid ourselves of any sort of discomfort, any sort of loss, any sort of pain. Think about insurance, we can insure just about everything, right? And that's kind of like our fail-safe, make sure nothing bad happens to me. You can insure your house, your car, your life, your health, your phone. 
You can, you can go buy a power tool and insure that thing. You can go, I don't, you know, I mean, just about anything you buy, you can have insurance to make sure that you're protected and nothing bad happens. So we spend so much energy and time trying to avoid suffering that we have forgotten that there is a suffering that God has called us to. So when you will suffer, when you will walk in compassion and suffer with others, you are becoming like your father. And it will change your life. I guarantee you guys, this is the fast track to becoming like Jesus. I believe this, is, this will cause you to become like God quicker than anything else. Because in this place of suffering, you are identifying with Christ. You are identifying with His death on the cross and His resurrection. You are walking in His power. See, if we're selfish Christians and we say, God, I want power but I don't have any desire to really go and spend myself in the world and use that power, you're not going to walk in power because God is not going to give you power so that you can just feel great about who you are. He's going to give you power so that you can transform the world. And in the process, He knows you will be made more like He is. Again, that's His goal, is to see you changed. He does want you to profit from the things that you do, but you can't be thinking about how you'll profit. All right? Again, let him worry about you. You just worry about other people. So I'll close with this. Do I have any uh, superhero fans in the room? Is there anyone who loves, like, Superman, all of that? How could you not? I mean, even the ladies, right? I mean, superheroes. And there's lots of girl superheroes too, right? I love the stories of superheroes because I feel like, in a way, it sort of reflects who we are as sons and daughters of God. We're powerful. We're filled with the Spirit. We can do things that maybe ordinary people who haven't met God can't do yet. But one of my favorite superheroes, I mean, honestly, probably the all-time favorite has to be Superman. I mean, he's just... Superman can just win. He can just win over everybody else. But one of my, my close second has to be Batman. Here's why. Here's why. Well, and Iron Man would kind of fall in the same category. Here's why I love Batman. Because Batman bleeds. Batman can be hurt. Batman, his, his, his power really is that he's brave and courageous and he's willing to risk. So he's got cool gadgets and toys and he has a lot of money and that helps him do all those things. But he doesn't have powers that, keep, that make him invincible. And I think that's kind of what it is like for us. Are we willing to go and suffer? Are we willing to go and put ourselves in harm's way? Are we willing to have a broken heart because I'm going to love this person at my school so much that even if they reject me, even if they reject the Lord, I'm going to love them and care for them anyways to the point that it hurts, to the point that I shed tears at night in my bed when I'm praying over them. I weep. Guys, it's not comfortable to weep. It's not comfortable to have a broken heart. Will I be so consumed with the poor and with the widow and the orphan that it breaks my heart? That I literally feel the heart of God and I weep over people and I weep over the world. Guys, that's what God has called us to, to compassion. To co-suffer with Him, to co-suffer with the poor and the hurting and the broken and the lost. If you want to be about that, I ask you just to bow your head and let's pray. God, we love you. You are awesome. 
Lord, there's no one like you, and it is our heart's desire to be conformed to your image. Thank you that you have rescued us. Thank you that you are the God who spends himself. Father, you gave your son, Jesus. Jesus, you went to uh, in obedience to death on the cross. And because you did that, because you were so brave, because you were so courageous, we have life. Life here and now and life for eternity. And Lord, you, your desire is that we be conformed to your image. That we look like Jesus, that we act like Jesus, that we become like him. And Lord, I pray today this word would go deep in our hearts. That we would be willing to suffer. I pray that every sort of perception about what mission is would be broken. Everything about obligation and uh, just, doing, just doing these things because we're supposed to and it's the right thing to do, um, that all of those things would go. Those are motivations, but they're not the motivation. We don't want to do these things for a good reason. We want to do them for the reason. We want to understand who we are and what you're about and what you're doing in the world. So, Lord, I pray that you would break our hearts for the things that your heart is broken over. When you look at the world and you see little children being forced into sexual slavery, your heart is broken. When you see people living on the streets, when you see divorce and adultery happening and families being broken apart, and you see people being uh, suffocated and strangled by riches in the world, that they, they can only see the physical things and materialism and they can't live from the soul and they can't live for the depth of what life is about, it breaks your heart. People who can't have the ears to hear about you because they're so caught up in the here and now and in their stuff. Lord, break our hearts for those things, for the rich and the poor, for Americans and for people all over the world who have not heard the gospel. Lord, and I pray that we would be a group of people who would spend ourselves. We would be filled with true compassion and say, Lord, I am ready, I am willing to suffer. I will suffer for the cause of your kingdom. And I'll do it with a smile on my face. I'll do it with joy, like I saw Jesus do, like Paul did. Um, it, it's a good kind of pain. It's like an athlete who, who, there's pain, there's blood, and there's sweat when you're competing in, in sports. But people do it because they want to. They do it because they love it. And we want to be that same way. So Lord, I pray you empower all my friends by the power of your Holy Spirit. We love you. You're amazing. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys, thank you. Go eat lunch. We will see you tonight. See you tonight.